live in the parrot room. I'll buy you a horse, Bob. I'll buy you a horse, Bob. What's that a reference to? You obviously didn't read the details of this Elon Musk charge. No, I was uh, leading that to you totally. I don't get okay, into the well, gutter in my own pair room. Research. It's weird. When, when Musk started this whole thing with Twitter months ago, a very knowledgeable friend said uh, he's going to get it. He doesn't know what trouble he's getting into if he becomes a hate figure for the left. And he certainly embraced that recently when he said... Uh, he was now voting Republican. Uh, and, uh, well, that and, tweet uh, is making sense in light of this, because that tweet was read by some as him knowing he's got dirt about to come out on him and preempting that. Because, right? Isn't that the one we I didn't realize Trump? that. that, that, that would be, you're one totally. step ahead of me. Totally. I mean, I'll go. I'll be finding the tweet because it's so it's so perfect for that. Um, and you, this, you proceed this, with this, this, what I heard preceded long preceded this, but, uh, Musk's. So anyway, uh, this, um, this guy, John Cook, who is, uh, he used to be editor of the Gawker, he, that guy he used to be editor of Gawker, mm -hmm. um, is a maniac, hates me. I don't find him maniacal. Wrote wrote really wild things on the web late at night about me. Like, um, Mickey, don't don't leave us don't leave us there. What did he write? Confronted confronted me. Confronted. Oh, he didn't like some woman I'd gone out with, and confronted some uh, confronted me at a party and said, you know, I hate you, but I want to shake hands with you as a man or some crazy bullshit like that. Anyway, there's not, but there's no indicia on this story that. That, that I could find that implied that it was wrong, uh, you know, except, you know, obviously, most lawyers, what's the point of having a non-disclosure agreement if all the witnesses at the trial could then go to the press anyway? I mean, this non-disclosure agreement was obviously not very effective. Um, uh, and it is the first time I've heard, the first time we've heard of anything like this from Musk, and he has... Okay, he has, wait, a, sick, wait, he has wait. a sick sense of humor. I interrupt you because I found the tweet. So this tweet, his tweet came out, and I wish I could rack up numbers like this, 157,000 retweets, 823,000 likes, anyway, and 113,000 replies, one of which pointed out that this could be a preemptive tactic. And here's, here's the tweet. And this was before the allegations that you're about to elaborate on came out, as I understand it. This is May 18th, he writes... He tweets, in the past, I voted Democrat because they were mostly, in parens, the kindness party. But they have become the party of division and hate, so I can no longer support them and will vote Republican. Now, watch their dirty tricks campaign against me unfold. And then ellipses and a popcorn icon. And people at the time said, oh, it looks like he knows something's going to drop. I was thinking maybe something from the SEC and he's uh, preempting it, but it sounds like something did drop. And now I, I return uh, you to center stage. Take it away. Uh, well, that, it doesn't sound completely implausible now that you describe it. Uh, the um, what does he, it sound? Uh, he just he has a it, that he would that he would do that as a as a preemptive. Oh, strike. totally. It sounds very um, much like that. But um, 
He, he, but he has a weird sense of humor. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, but what a coincidence. Yeah. He says, now watch their dirty tricks unfold. And this woman comes out of the woodwork hours later. Well, uh, no, it's, 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 um, it's possible. It doesn't mean he's guilty or innocent. It just means he's manipulative. No, it doesn't. Doesn't mean uh, you're right. But he, he he's his Twitter his Twitter feed is uh is utterly amazing. Um and I think he's sort of better at it than Trump. He's very Trumpian that he breaks all the rules. Oh, he's definitely uh, better. But uh but he's also has a sort of lilting self-deprecatory quality to it. Like um uh, oh much more clever. Uh, uh he gets somebody named Chad Hurley, who I don't know, but he has a blue check mark, so it must be important. Hey, Elon Musk, stop horsing around and close the Twitter deal. We all want a happy ending, exclamation point. Okay, we know what he's talking about there. Right. Uh, and Musk replies with two, like, emoji that are laughing. And he says, hi, Chad, long time no see. Fine, if you touch my wiener, you can have a horse. What? <laughs> <laughs> wait, so wait, 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 I'm missing background information. Did you ever fill us in on what the horse reference was? Oh, to? Anyway, they supposedly the, the woman claims that, that she was she's a flight attendant, I think an employee of SpaceX on the private Gulfstream jet they have. Uh-huh. And she's told that it would be good for her career if she became a full-time masseuse. Yeah. I, I thought that I thought I that a horse that. horse 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 owning was or horse riding was the source of all evil but i think ma massages are and the spacex has a corporate policy in favor of massages so she gets the training at her own expense they didn't pay for it and she is on a flight with musk and he she's she asked her to give a massage when she goes into the private room he's just wearing a towel she claims he exposes his erect penis touched her leg instead of she did more for him than a massage, he would buy her a horse because she knew she was into riding. Uh, so Musk is sort of referring to the charge in a sort of lighthearted way that like a Trump, Trump would never do that. It's also no. like completely out of bounds and hilariously funny. Um, also, so, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't deliver on the buying the horse part. Musk would have actually bought her the horse. Right, and that's much more generous than like Jeffrey Epstein. I, I, he, you know, the occasional violin lesson, yes, but. Uh, so is this is this involved. woman credible? Do we know I her don't name? No, I do not know. The woman is bound by a non-disclosure agreement. All the information comes from her friend, who says she disclosed this to her. That the woman disclosed this to her in real time, uh, and 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 wrote an affidavit in defense of her suit. Uh -huh. uh, and the affidavit is not bound by the non-disclosure agreement, so she gave that to Business Insider and talked to Business Insider. Uh, nothing in it seems, you know, com on on its face absurd. But they did have a meeting and settled for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And you know, it it it, it must says as another side of the story. I would think if if it were like a real, if it were just what she said you would think the settlement figure would be in the millions. Well, uh, but it, but but you would also think if she's just making it up out of whole cloth, he wouldn't give her 250000 Musk seems exactly like uh, the kind of person who would not do that. Yes, exactly. That's true. But ordinarily, you'd say 250000 it could have been a nuisance suit. 
But uh, but Musk, I think, on principle, genuinely would not I say on, would yeah. say no. Maybe, I'm not going to play. But maybe he realized he was partially at fault and that she deserves some money. Uh, anyway, that's that's um, uh, that's as far as I know. The other thing that's happening is uh, even before this was happening, Tesla stock was falling. As an owner of one share, I can testify to that. And um, what is the price of a share these days? It was seven sixty-five yesterday. I think it fell more today. Seven hundred sixty-five dollars. It's fallen like forty-four percent since the peak. peak. Since the peak. But the whole um, market has fallen twenty percent since the peak. Right, and and right. then some of the additional was due to Elon himself selling in order to raise the cash for. Yeah, I don't know, but that that ended a while ago. Uh, yeah, but there I was, think during I think, all that. I think it's. You know, it, 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 Tesla is facing a lot of new competition. Well, that's been obvious for a long time. Yeah, I would think uh, it's far from clear they're the, going to continue to thrive. The Ford, the Ford pickup truck got a rave review from. Did from I Wall call Street. this? Did I say this last week or the week before that that's that 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 could blow well, that Tesla? Is, up? That would that would move the market if the Ford if Ford can actually, put the, you know, put this together. But because uh, a, a, I don't trust the rave review and b. The proof is in the longevity, not in does it perform for the reviewer. Well, um, and uh, the key to sales is the reviewers, and then we see how long it lasts. But the um, I think in the pickup truck market, longevity is a big deal. Okay, but my question is: Is it the case that the next big hope for Tesla uh, is the pickup? I mean, that's a that's the big visionary vehicle I'm aware of. Aside from that, it's the what is it? The Tesla three is that the big hot thing now? And that's no, a they few have, years. They have, other thing, they have other things in the pipeline. They have a uh, a truck, which is really well, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, you mean a semi truck? You know, a truck truck, a semi truck. Yeah, that's the big deal. The, that's even bigger than the pickup truck, I think. Uh, so, uh, and you know the the pickup truck. I don't know what's happening. I haven't seen anything uh, about it. Uh, you you would think if you design the truck the way he designed it, you weren't going to take over the market. Obviously, with that design, it was too out there. Um, it depends. You never know. I mean, uh, but you would think, yeah. I, I mean, unless I don't know. I I, I don't. I don't know. Anyway, the the fall of Tesla stock makes it much harder for him to buy Twitter. That's. Point. Well, I've been That's, yes, we have been yeah, discussing yes, that. that, but then now it's actually happening as if, as if you are, uh, as if I was prescient. Uh, yes, that the word. Um, um, the uh, and uh, the other thing is that the Twitter is seemingly going back to the left in a way. Somebody, Josh Barrow, noted that if they really wanted to goad Musk into buying, they would start getting more woke on the grounds that this would drive him crazy and he'd want to stop it. I also have a friend of a friend of mine who has a Twitter account but never tweets. Uh-huh. Just got canceled today. Your account is canceled. And I assume that they're now like canceling everybody who might conceivably be a bot to get their numbers down so that Musk can't back out of the deal somehow because they 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 allege that uh, only five percent of their accounts were well, bots. Yeah, but, and, it, but if the way they do that is to cut the number of Twitter customers in half, and he can say, "Well, that was the misrepresentation, right?" I mean, I don't see how they can win with this game. Well, I don't know. It happened. 
So they, it's weird that it would happen today, right? Uh, I don't know. So and and they 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 they're sticking this uh, disclaimer, I think, on one of my tweets that said, uh, you know, if you see any responses that aren't aren't uh, helpful to the conversation, please report them. Is that right? Even singled yeah. out? Uh, uh, You're not even a blue do, check. Are you worth it? Well, that's the point. The point is, if if they do that to me, imagine, uh, imagine what they person. do to important people. Yeah. Uh, it's a little vague, a little bit of a vague, uh, a vague criteria. Are is this helpful to the conversation? That's weird, Bob. This isn't helpful to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, by the You're way, I'm thinking about terminating this conversation. I'm thinking about taking a week off of Twitter, like actually a week off of Twitter. Like not looking at Twitter for a week. Well, you, you don't tweet that much. You've probably been declared a bot already. They probably solved your I problem. I haven't been for you. tweeting much. And I, I, I think that's partly because I'm just getting older and I care less. But uh, also I've been I've been kind of using Twitter heavily as a consumer, as a as a news source. Uh, you know, I just during during the war, I've been going straight to my Ukraine war list. It, it's, it's a great it's, news source. It is, but it's unhealthy. This this thing I've got with the Ukraine war, it's like uh, there are better ways to spend time. Well, you should you should see what what rabbit holes you get on if you look at uh, un, uncounted mail in ballots in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. I can imagine. Um, actually, Heard. the coverage of that has been very very good. Yeah, by, by the by the Philly Inquirer guy, uh, and by other people. Uh, but uh, so I have a question. This is reveals my ignorance. Uh -huh. This might not be helpful to the conversation. I'll let you what know. is a bot? Is a bot automated, or can are there non-automated bots? I think it's got to be automated. It can't can't be a human deciding what the individual response is if it's a bot. But so, but somebody has to program. Like, if a bot amplifies some Russian disinformation, oh yeah, they the bot isn't smart enough to go make up the disinformation itself, right? Uh, somebody, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on that. I mean, uh, like, I can imagine um, in terms of making up complex misinformation, maybe. But in terms of like replying in seeming in seemingly intelligent fashion to someone in a way that counteracts what they're saying, like, like, you know, saying, oh yeah, those are Putin's talking points or, oh, another Putin apologist. That could be a bot. Huh. Or what about her emails? You know, there what was about this, her email. This, uh, uh, this, this piece, uh, by Stephen, is it John, Stephen Johnson, Stephen, uh, in the New York times magazine, which I haven't read, but, uh, it's about this AI thing created by OpenAI. It's got three letters and uh, numbers like GPT-3 or something. Uh, I'll Google it. But um, apparently, you know, it's about how if you, this machine, like you give it SAQs, like say, write about this. And apparently, I've been told by other people who have actually access to it and can use it, but this piece in the New York Times Magazine uh, was a was about this software, and supposedly, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, uh, the, so the does this mean that all the women who like 
are just looking for a good man in my Twitter feed, are they're automated? No, they're are, not. No, those are actual women. They're all they're yeah. looking for a good man, and they and Mickey, as I, you know, I, it's and not my horse. place. They want but, a horse. No, I was just going to say they found one. I think you're a good man, and you, I think they'll be very happy. So somebody at least has to pay these attractive women to to email. No, I, me, think, so, I, I think I think these me. are women who are enthralled by you. Yeah. Okay. Um. The uh. So it says, uh, oh, it's GPT-3. Uh, and it's the piece is called AI is Mastering Language. Should we trust what it says? It is indeed by Stephen Johnson. Um, while we're talking, maybe I'll scroll and find an example. Do, um, do these women know I have a dad bod? I might turn some of them off. Mickey, it's your mind. It's your mind that turns them on. Okay. Well, they've only they've only seen me from the neck up. That's the problem. Mickey, when um, the mind is powerful as yours, the neck down doesn't matter. You know, they just listen to the podcast and they're like, I want the whole thing, man. I want the whole thing. They haven't even seen your nope. face, but it doesn't matter. This kind of magnetism, it doesn't matter. The um so, but I, you know, where does this go from here? I mean, Musk. Oh, I think I know. Oh, you mean uh, we're no, back to I mean, Musk? Okay, I was going to. Uh, you, know, you know, they made the same allegations against Trump. They're unproven. They're plausible. Uh, you know, that's that's sort of the worst. If there are other shoes to drop, if he turns out he's harassed twenty people, uh, sure, then he's in 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 deep trouble. But if it's just this one. I just don't think you get Weinstein that easily anymore, you know? No, I, I, I don't. Look, I mean, the woman can't come forward, right? Uh, in theory, I mean, I, su I suppose there'll be demands that, that, that he break, he allow her out of the NDA. Uh, but uh, non-disclosure agreement. Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, When did this break? Why haven't I heard about it except from you? Broke this morning. Before our podcast, well, I was on the, I was on my Ukraine list, confirming that there's a big breakout from Papazna. You were, you were on your, um, I thought you were on a Twitter fast. No, I said I'm thinking about taking oh. a week off. That would begin shortly after we speak. Okay, so here is he gave GPT three this prompt: write an essay discussing the role of metafiction in the work of Italo Calvino, and uh the the reply from the software began as follows italian author italo calvino is considered a master of metafiction a genre of writing in which the author breaks the fourth wall to discuss the act of writing itself for calvino metafiction is a way of exploring the nature of reality and the ways in which stories can shape our perceptions of the world his novels his novels often incorporate playful labyrinthine structures that play with the boundaries between reality and fiction. So he's just ripping off Wikipedia there. Well, I'd like to know how plagiaristic this is. I haven't read the piece. I'm just scanning it. Now, I'd like to know if this is how originally intelligent is this. I hope the answer is in the piece. That's um, what I hope. But but it could. Um, so they're going to be selling that to college sophomores who want to have a machine write their essays. And to uh, owners of periodicals who want to fire journalists and cut their costs, yes. Oh. Uh, so, 
I, I, I suggest this is in a, two asides. This guy Cook, who's the editor of this piece, not the writer, John Cook. Is, a, is a Gawker alumnus. And Hamilton Nolan, who wrote another piece that was linked on Drudge Today, uh, I think, was it also Mocking Musk? I forget what it was. Uh, anyway, um, uh, but it was written from a straight, it had no new information, was just written from a sneering left-wing perspective, is another Gawker alumnus. So rather than kill Gawker, uh, Gawker is like a dandelion where if you kill it, the spores have just uh, floated into the rest of journalism. Uh, so not clear that Peter Thiel finished the job, you know what I mean? GPT-3 could not have come up with that metaphor, Mickey. That was beautiful. <laughs> uh, so, um, anyway, the second thing is, speaking of women and horses, you know uh, who used to own... We should have, like, a mashup of our best segues. No, this isn't a segue. This is a digression. The, the, um, you know who used to own Henry the Hawk, the best jumping horse on the East Coast? Elon Musk? No. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, the guy who played Superman. A, 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 a name with the same syllable order as Elon Musk. You mean two and one? Yeah. You'll, uh, you'll Amber Towels. You'll, you'll never get it. A woman named Lisa Druck. D-R-U-C-K. Well, that would make it a pretty bad trivia question if, and, like, no human could answer it. And, and you know what You know what uh, happened to the horse? Mm, I'm, I'm at a loss. The, the horse was murdered by sticking an electric cable in one of its ends and another in the other end. Oh, my God. For the insurance money while Lisa Druck was asleep in a pickup truck outside the stall. Uh, we think by her father. It was a big scandal. And you know what happened to Lisa Druck? I know that this conversation has taken a weird turn. <laughs> what happened to Lisa Druck is she married a man named Hunter and changed her first name to Riel. Oh, I knew this would get back to John Edwards. Yeah, so she, and then she had an affair with John Edwards and brought down his candidacy. Um, so wait. She had a troubled early life. For our younger students. Uh, there once was a presidential campaign, and there was a candidate named John Edwards, who, though married, though married to a woman who personally I would have voted for over him. She was a very impressive woman, the real, the wife. Not she was the, impressive. Some there were, you know, you obviously haven't read the John Heilman book, but yes. What does it say about her? It, it, the John Heilman chapter, the the Heilman Halperin chapter on Edwards says she was a bitch. She was smarter than Edwards. She never let him forget it. She was impossible to live with. Uh, and None of uh, that is disqualifying. None of that's president. disqualifying. I agree. She was very, very smart, and she was smarter than John Edwards. So the hell. Great. Uh, and, uh, but she, um, you know, she clearly knew, she clearly was putting the Democratic Party in jeopardy by letting her husband run for president with this affair in the background. So, oh, she already knew was, about it? That was a fit. I think so. Wait, it, it's and, her responsibility to blow the whistle? He knew about it. Well, it's both there. E each one has a responsibility, I think. But um, uh, anyway. Well, what, I'll tell you what she figured is if he becomes president, I got him by the, you know, whatevers. Well, she was dying. Oh, she, oh, she had cancer? Yeah. So 
So anyway, back to this uh, Riel Hunter. Anyway, she, that's she my was, aside. She was following him around with a video camera. She was a, you know, a documentary person or something. And he. Uh, he was having an affair with him and he hired her as a documentary person. Is that the way it worked, really? I suspect so, yeah. Oh, you just, that's sheer presumption. Anyway, they had an actual child, love child. And then a, a very dutiful subordinate of his agreed to act as if he was the father, right? Uh, agreed, yes. And then wrote a, wrote a tell-all book about it. And confusingly, he had the same name as a famous civil rights leader. He did? Yeah. What was his name? Okay. What was his name? Uh, I can't, you know, come on. The, the guy from Georgia, uh, you know, the civil rights leader, I mean. You don't remember the name of the guy who agreed to act as if he was the father? No, I don't. That's, That's how senile I am. It's inexcusable. Andrew. Oh, Andrew Young, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's that's a, that's the digression. Bob, you look like a little like you have a black eye. This Which one here? A, now it's that one. It used to be the other one. It's, it's something to do with the lighting in your underground lair. Which does not seem to be underground because it's getting darker as the sun goes down. Sun is going down. Uh, but that's a good transition to the Amber Heard trial, the black eye business. Because her hairdresser testified that, or no, was it her hairdresser? You, you may, or you may, I, I, somebody makeup. testified that, that, that she got had a black eye or something. I, I don't understand what the what the import of this trial is. I mean, Johnny Depp, well, sues, he, he was, he lost, he sued for defamation because she implied that he was an abuser. And she clearly did apply in that arc, in that op-ed that he was an abuser. I mean, he did not mention his name. I know, but then she went on and on about, I have been abused by a husband. It was clearly a reference to him. It was like, Were there, like I did the reference? fact that she didn't mention his name doesn't get her off the hook, but, but, he had already lost a trial in England where the court found that she had plenty of evidence that he was an abuser. And so it's why easier for him to win in England than here because of the, the laws actually no. allow you to. But the law in England requires her to prove the case, unlike here. Right. But I mean, here it's so almost impossible. If you're a public figure, it's very hard to win a libel or slander suit, right? Right. But he... But, but he in lost England, the, it's not, but he still lost. He lost the suit in a, in a jurisdiction that where it's easy to win. Yes. And so why would he like go up that bell tower a second time for us for a, a, a second effort? I don't quite understand it. And you know, it's not a he's not he's an unlikely candidate to be the guy who turns around me too, well, since this, he's this clearly sort of guilty. And she may be guilty too, but who cares? They're both guilty. They had a horrible, toxic us. relationship. This is a question I was going to ask Molly. So Molly is a commenter who originally led us down this path, for better or worse. She writes, Depp versus Hurd is significant. I don't think I read this last time. I think it's more recent. Anyway, Depp versus Hurd is significant because it's a major credible challenge to the Me Too movement and cancel culture. So she's saying it's a credible challenge. And I was going to raise... Uh, the same question you raised, Mickey, but first I'll read a little more of her comment. At issue in Depp versus Heard is a Washington Post article by Amber Heard, who wrote, quote, wrote the editorial in her capacity as, quote, ambassador on women's rights at the American Civil Liberties Union, unquote. Uh, the ACLU drafted the editorial. Its lawyers reviewed it. She claimed to be a victim of domestic violence. 
an obvious reverence to death. She discussed her struggle uh, to be believed as heralding, as a heralding of the Me Too movement. Um, major challenge to Me Too because many people like myself believe that it exposes the obvious problems with this movement. Namely, a woman can destroy a man's life with a mere allegation of misconduct. She doesn't have to establish her credibility. All true, but I, I mean, this can't happen. It just seems like your ideal candidate for this would be a guy who, you know, where there's not a video of him acting like a, ma a, a, a verbally abusive maniac. Right. Or it's like, it's that guy Sabatini, the scientist who, you know, had an affair with a woman in his lab and, and, and it was, was since like his life was destroyed on seemingly flimsy, uh, grounds because, uh, you know, some sort of woke audit firm audited him and decided there was a toxic bro atmosphere. I mean, it, you know, you have to do more than have a toxic bro atmosphere, I would think. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a toxic bro atmosphere. Yeah, no, you know? that's, our, that's our whole brand. The, yeah. uh, so, so she I mean, also writes... I beg. <laughs> Pardon. She also, uh, Molly also writes, because in my opinion, Amber Heard has not yet credibly or persuasively established facts suggesting she was a victim of domestic violence. Uh, I, that all may be true. It's just, it seems like ideally you just want somebody from central casting, good guy. Right. Uh, and uh, he's so, have you seen some of the videos? Like the one where it's morning, he wakes up, he's, you know, he's, it seems like it's morning. He's doing a oh. bottle of wine and, I checked that with with the shit in the bed. Yeah, that's that we. That's I don't think we deal breaker for me. That. that that would be. Like, that was. I switched over and started to watch old Nina Jankovic TikToks. So anyway, what happened to me was I was on Twitter and over in the side column, as if Twitter knew that Molly had left this uh, comments about this. Um, had this alluring, like you know, video of the said live from the trial, and it turned out it wasn't actually live. So I feel cheated. But once I get into one of those things, you know, those things are engrossing as hell. You could almost plop me in the middle of any courtroom. It could be like a parking ticket. And if if there's some tension in the cross-examination or something, I'm all over it. It was hard it's to get a, out of that hellhole. It's amazing that court, does court TV even exist? I mean, that was it was a brilliant idea of Steve Brill, which is you have this free drama unfolding, yeah, televised trials. I mean, it would if it was it would be top the ratings if it was televised in this one. But the the main story seems to be that Depp has these, you know, legions of fans who bombard Amber Heard with abuse. You know, well he, he does. I I don't I don't get him. I don't understand his appeal. But um, uh, but but so what? It doesn't that doesn't affect the you know, who's right and who's wrong in the trial. It's still completely bizarre. Unless, did he lose a job at Pirates of the Caribbean because of this? Did he lose every job he has? Is I have he no reduced idea. to doing dinner theater in Scranton, Pennsylvania? I don't think so. I have no idea. Um, there was no. some, I, I don't know. I mean, he's been problematic on sets. You know, they've had to kind of work to get him to like show up each day yeah i mean he, he was you know he's late and they and they uh have to send an agent out to to get control of him i mean bob what if what if the agent knew about me he'd be here every week i'm always late you know i wasn't going to bring that up uh, the parallels i wasn't going to get into the parallels between you and johnny depp i think that's the only parallel the punctuality is, is one 
But that, of course, Bob, a movie set is different because there are a hundred people waiting on you, not just one. But what if it's one very special person, Mickey? Not enough. Apparently. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, um, so I, 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 I didn't read the comments because they were starting, some of them were starting to annoy me because they were saying, now, Mickey, I know you'll do the right thing next week and admit Bob was right and say this and that about Buffalo. And what you did. I, I, I hate that, but I hate, I hate being told what to do, especially when you're going to do it. And that's like the most annoying thing. So well, I stopped know, reading I, the, com I stopped reading I the comments. I would, Please do not leave, leave that sort of comment on in the comment section. Cause I don't know. What you want us to do? Oh, you're asking them not to leave it. You're not asking me to delete. No, them. no, don't delete them. But uh, by the way, we have no idea who's been deleting comments. If anybody has, no one who has the actual power to do it. No human that has the power to delete comments. So I assume I people can tell. have been deleting their own comments. And delete. No, but a couple of commenters have said their comments disappeared. Oh, really? Yeah. Was Sean Gibby one of them? I don't know, but did you know Sean Gibby translated a book? No. Why should have that you surprise done that? me? It doesn't surprise me. It's just impressive. She had some particularly pointed comment that, that, that drew blood, but I forget. Maybe that was the one she deleted. Anyway. But, you know, a lot of people were on your side of the replacement thing. Now, I don't know how many of them were before and after the Buffalo well, shooting. I think mainly after, and, and they well, were still, I, like, piling on me. Well, I have, a, I have a lot of points on my side of the replacement thing, just not the basic point of should Tucker Carlson use replacement theory. And, and this brings me to this Ramesh Panuru piece, which is very good, although it's on Bloomberg and I don't subscribe to Bloomberg, so you can only hear it. Uh, you can hear a reading of it. You can hear a computer reading it. Hmm. <laughs> I heard a computer reading it, but uh, you can get that for free. How long before they close that loophole? But uh, his, his point is that even the non 200 proof detoxified version of replacement theory Q uh, uh, to the election, okay, which is the, I think he agrees is, is less toxic than we are going to culturally destroy whites. Mm -hmm. Just saying, we Democrats want to win elections, so we're going to let in immigrants. He says that's false, for is only partially true for two reasons. One is that there's no real conspiracy, and the other is that, that it, 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 it's a mischaracterization of motives to say that it's 100% percent of the of the motives for relaxing immigration and having an immigration amnesty uh, and relaxing immigration restrictions is to give Democrats more voters as we just as we talked about their their idealistic motives their employer motives uh, they're you know they're a bunch of they're people who think like Brett Stevens that the tree of Liberty has to be renewed with immigrant immigrants constantly um, when it's uh, not being watered with the blood of patriots yes Exactly. And um, it's sort of like Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the blood of patriots, yeah. you know, Friday, immigrants. Um, so uh, uh, he says, and therefore it is, uh, uh, what does he say? He says, he says it's uh, something like irresponsible and wrong. Okay. But that ducks the question of what if you reduce the theory to the parts that were right? Uh, and only had, he said, look, a lot of the motivation of a lot of Democrats, and you can prove it by talking about all the comments of a 
Ron Brownstein and others over the years, Roy Teixeira, the emerging Democratic majority, uh, a, a lot of the motive is to increase Democrats and win elections. And it's not a big conspiracy, but that's a lot of the motive. And the voter and the white working class is being kicked to the curb. They're not being replaced. They're being kicked to the curb. And if that inflamed people, would it be irresponsible to talk about it, even if it was the truth? That's the tough case. Okay. And keep in mind that it, it wouldn't be the tough case in welfare because talking about welfare reform does not breed violence. But talking about immigration does breed violence. Uh, it, it's a slip. It's a slipperier slope. Yeah. So is that a, it, you don't think it's a tough case? Well, I mean, there's no substantive, there's no, you know, semi-plausible substantive description of the situation or argument that I would say should be kept off the table. It just seems like it's pretty easy to do these things without using the label that was on the cover page of the manifesto issued by the Christchurch mosque shooter. I mean, I, guess, I don't know. It's just not, I don't get it. What, what is the question here? I guess, I guess I think it depends on how much violence there is that you might provoke. If it, we happen to live in a country, unlike Europe, where they talk about replacement theory all the time, and Mr. Zamour presented a detoxified version of replacement theory, that does not seem to provoke uh, terrorist attacks by uh, immigration restrictionists. But uh, as David Frums notes, there are fewer guns in France. Yeah. We are awash in guns, and everybody has their finger on the trigger, and so it's more dangerous. And what if we were watching in, in something more than guns? What if people had access to small nuclear weapons? Uh, and, and, yeah. and saying something that even was true might provoke some small nuclear well, explosions. That's, that's true. Then, the, then there'd be a strong argument that even if it's true, you should, should suppress it. So I can see that. And I mean, I would go further. I'm not, as I've said, I'm not just saying don't use the exact language that happens to be favored by the crazies at the moment. It's like, yeah, be aware of how incendiary the situation and what buttons you're pushing in human nature. It's like when the, the, the you know, they are raping our women is another one. It's like, yes, of course, somewhere in America in recent years, an immigrant has raped uh, you know, a brown immigrant has raped a white woman. It's just bound to have happened when you got this many brown immigrants and this many white women. But, you know, a responsible politician, and this is what I said about some of the Trump shit Trump said from the beginning when he started running for president, a responsible person is aware that you don't phrase something like that as if it's a rampant problem when you know that this is exactly what gets young guys to go out and get if, drunk and go kill some other guy because well, of the color well, of their skin. Just stating, well, what if just stating the truth was provocative? That's the tough case. Right, that is a tough case. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I don't, you know. And I, I, I guess I think you should go ahead with it, depending on if they have guns or a nuclear weapon. If all they have is guns and they're going to shoot some people, I just, you know, every 10 years, uh, then. I think you can't let them have a veto over the conversation, but it does sort of depend on what what uh, how many guns are out there and how frequent it is, and it's yeah, a very I mean, tough call. I mean, the, if you're saying are the uh, are there times when you should not say what's true, even if you take pains to phrase it in the most sterile and innocuous and least incendiary way possible? 
That's an interesting question. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's one we really have been, is, has been the issue, but. Uh, well, I think if, if Tucker Carlson tried to do that, I think he might still be, it might still have produced this thing because there's no evidence that this guy listened to Tucker Carlson and he might still have been accused. Yeah, as it happened, it, this wasn't, you know, Tucker wasn't his route to this stuff. On the other hand, when you got this many people watching your show and you're familiar with some of the kinds of people watching it, you know, it's, there's a non-trivial chance that you could be the conduit. I mean, I do think there's a special obligation to, to, uh, to go out of your way to say, which numbers USA, for example, does the, the main anti a restrictionist lobbying group to, to say we're not saying that Im immigrants are bad people they're good people just like us that they're, they're they're sort of constantly praising that and it sounds like a, a pro forma disclaimer that they're just using to cover their asses i think they really mean it um and so uh you have to sort of constantly put things in that context i think if you're if you're a restrictionist uh to try to avoid this sort of thing and then, and then maybe also you're for gun control. I don't know. Me? Uh, no, maybe one response to this dilemma is try to worm your way out of the dilemma by having more gun control if you want to. Well, that's never going to be the this. solution. You know, I, I mean, I favor limiting magazine size. In this case, he was in a state that wouldn't have uh, permitted him to have the 30-round magazine he had, but it, it was because he, you know, he just had to go across the state line or something to get it. I mean, a lot of these things are only going to be very effective if they're and he national. did. He did choose, I think, his target because he figured in a gun control state, there weren't be, wouldn't be many other people with guns around. Uh, so they were sitting said? targets. I think he says that in his manifesto. Yes. Um, the the other thing is, you know, what sane countries do when they're faced with legitimate grievances that nevertheless provoke a violent extreme, a small violent extremist fringe is address the legitimate grievances. Uh, and, and, and maybe if the border is out of control, you take steps to assure the public that the border isn't out of control. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and maybe, you know, you only, you, if, if, uh, if, if the problem is that 2 million undocumented immigrants are getting in a year, maybe you whittle that down substantially. So that people, you know, the, the obvious in, in France, Macron made all sorts of restrictionist noises. Uh, in Sweden, the, the left-wing party all of a sudden cracks down on immigrants because its voters wanted that. Okay, in America, the left-wing party goes further left and you know goes more towards loose borders. Uh, that's insane. It's an insane way to deal with the problem. Okay, I mean, I, I want to emphasize. I mean, nothing we've I've said in this whole conversation about replacement theory has anything to do with my substantive views on immigration. I mean, I, I think some of the commenters thought uh, I was arguing one way or the other about what immigration policy should be. I, I, mean, I actually don't know what your substantive views are on immigration. I'm not sure I want to know. Uh, no, I don't. I don't really have strong views. I mean, uh, it, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I. You know, the I. Countries have always tried to control their borders. And there's nothing, I mean, sometimes people on the left act as if it's immoral for a country to pose, you know, pose any immigration restrictions at all. I mean, countries have pretty much always done it. Uh, I didn't object to that in principle. I mean, there's, I, I mean, my, you know, my, uh, 
you know, obviously, well, not obviously, I guess, but if immigration is such a deeply felt issue among enough Americans that it it threatens to like uh, it's causing them, you know, tremendous upset and threatens, you know, uh, political instability and or civil war. Then I'm obviously willing to rethink it on those grounds alone. I mean, it, you know, I, I'm. Uh, I'm I'm not in principle opposed. I'm not an open borders guy. I mean, it's just not a stable situation right. to say anyone who wants can come in our country. Right. You just can't assimilate change that fast. Right. And 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 so I'm willing to to uh, monitor the situation and see how well we're assimilating change and adjust as necessary. I mean, one thing I don't like are is a kind of. Uh, very selective approach to immigration that seems to be kind of racially tinged. Uh, like these races we like, these races we don't. And I know, you know, it's easy to wind up saying what sounds like that just by looking at the different economic implications, you know, like, well, we want well-educated people, we want whatever. But I'm... Uh, well, I... The... Um, it, it's hard to argue that different cultures don't assimilate at different rates. There's, you know, there's, there's no reason to think, I mean, culture means something. There's no reason to think that all cultures will assimilate at the exact same rate. It's not like you drop a feather and a drop a rock and they both fall at the speed of gravity. Uh, it's, it's, you know, some. Actually, they do in the absence of air resistance. That was the point, I think. <laughs> yeah, I said it's not like that. Oh, I see. Different cultures um, will 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 assimilate at different rates, and a cult, a culture that's based on misogyny and multiple wives, and you know, believes in settling. I, I'm just hypothesizing a fake culture that, that, that you know believes in settling disputes by gunfire, will assimilate in America at, at a different rate than English. I mean, English. That, that's sort of pretty clear. Doesn't mean we shouldn't let them in. It just means that it, it would be. You, you, you're losing something if, if all you care about is this fast assimilation, which we shouldn't. Uh, uh, you know, you, you, you're losing something if you say you have to be culture blind. Uh, I do think well, one of the one of the cultures we would pick is Latinos. I mean, they're they they, they family they're, values. Conservatives I mean, should like Latinos uh, in some ways. I like Latinos. Latinos make great Americans. The problem is a lot of them. Are low skilled workers, and we need to low skilled workers in the U.S. need to make a living. Uh, the anyway, the um, couple of immigration related points. The e e speaking of popular resistance to uh, to Biden's immigration policies, even the Democrats in Pelosi's coalition are insisting on a vote on whether to continue this Title Forty Two. Uh, provision that lets them just reject uh, elite undocumented immigrants at the border, which they're only applying to single men. Um, but there are millions of them. Uh, and is if that the COVID-related thing? Yeah, that's the COVID. It was a health emergency. They might have COVID, so we can just turn them around and send them home. And they do that to hundreds of thousands of people a year. And if they didn't do that, not only would those hundreds of thousands get in, but millions more would read about that and come and try to get in themselves. Uh, so it's really the floodgates, and uh, and uh, Biden 
it's of course may get Biden off the hook, but Biden claims he's going to get rid of it. These Democrats are getting really cold feet and they're holding up the COVID bill on the, in order to get a vote. And presumably mm. the vote will go. We want to keep this uh, Title 42 authority. And then Biden will have a choice of whether to sign the COVID bill. Uh, and it's pretty clear, I think, that he will sign it because he, he he just doesn't want to be seen as keeping the authority himself. If somebody else takes them off the hook and keeps it, I think he's happy to have some chance of having Democrats get elected. The other thing is uh, there was a survey of issues and immigration was only like sixth or seventh, which was disappointing to me. I thought it would be higher. It was only slightly ahead of racism. But now I realize what you say is that just means that all the Republicans are wildly upset about it and none of the Democrats. So uh, it's still a, you know, it's still an important electoral issue, even if it's only number eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but see, um, I'm like Benjamin Witties. I admit it when there's a data against me. Uh, should I should I do Witties now or should we? No, I have, I have one more point about about the are, are the are the people who talked about the coalition of the ascended and uh, in in ways that were clearly gloating and sort of. A, a tacit sort of backhand to the white working class. Are they just as, are, are they as guilty as Tucker Carlson in terms of provoking violence? In what way? Uh, are they you mean because that's such an obnoxious, you, that, yeah. these guys don't read. You think the guy, the Buffalo guy reads Ron Brownstein columns? Well, he doesn't read Tucker Carlson either. I'll bet he watches him. I bet and, he does. And Ron Brownstein reads Tucker Carlson. Ron Brownstein, Tucker Carlson reads Ron Brownstein and quotes him on the air. Anyway, there is this open letter here. This is the the, the extreme limiting case of, of a obnoxious coalition of the ascendant guy who thinks demographic change is going to bring him to power. And, uh, and are you going to are you going to read us a, a yeah, stirring? Ann Coulter came up with this. It, it's a open letter to the right right by a guy named Kim Wise, who's an expert who's been on TV. And here it is. For all y'all rich folks, enjoy that champagne or whatever fancy ass scotch you drink. And for y'all a bit lower on the economic scale, enjoy your Pabst Blue Ribbon or whatever shitty-ass beer you favor. Because your time is limited, real damn limited. Uh, it is math, because you're on the endangered list. And unlike, say, the bald eagle or some exotic species of muskrat, you're not worth saving. In 40 years or so, maybe fewer, there won't be any more white people around who actually remember that leave it to beaver. But it's okay, because... In about 40 years, half the country will be black or brown, and then there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing, Senor Tancredo. We just have to be patient and wait for you to pass into that good night, first politically, and then, well, you hear it, the sound of your empire dying, your nation as you knew it, ending permanently, because I do, and the sound of it is, the sound of its demise is beautiful. Uh, well, one problem with the, the modern world is, uh, I mean, A, there's so many people, uh, on, like on social media, you can find somebody saying anything. And this, guy is, this guy's on the Joy Reid show. Wait, which one is that? That's what I mean. Like Joy Reid is... Has he said that on Black the Joy Reid show? What? Oh, okay. He didn't say this, no. He did, no. I, I don't know what he said yeah. on Joy Reid. I'm sure it was similar, but... Well, the other problem, perhaps related, is that the way you become prominent in this uh, one prominent way to become prominent is by saying crazy shit. And, uh, you know, 
it's bad. And so there's there's usually somebody you can point to who's saying incendiary shit on any given side. This guy sounds like kind of a nut. Um, the, um, the, the, a person who is not a nut and is totally mainstream and fed and, you know, on CNN and gets invited to all sorts of think tank seminars is Brownstein. And he doesn't gloat like that. All that, that's sort of pretty, a pretty obvious subtext. Uh, but, but what he does do is make clear that the decision between letting a lot of immigrants and letting the country be transformed or not letting it immigrants is the choice of do we want a knowledge economy with where the coastal regions get richer and you know people in unskilled jobs have to learn to code or we do we want an economy where unskilled people make relatively more money and it's you know the 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 uh, the, uh, the the transition to a merit based knowledge based economy is slower in a way that maybe works to their favor. That's the transformation and that's what's at stake. And that's why it's not just racism. You're choosing what kind of society you want. If you have unlimited immigrants, it's impossible to earn a living as an unskilled person. Those people get thrown on the dustbin of history and, uh, and society only values knowledge and merit and SAT scores and can you code. Uh, and it's a different kind of society. And assholes um, like this are happy. Anyway. Can I do Ben Witters now? <laughs> uh, I thought I could ring one more point out of this. Okay. <laughs> I think we spent a fair amount of time. I would say we're, we're if you What's add the up issue to, of the day. Yeah, but we're approaching an hour if you add up public uh, podcast and the time spent in the period. sound annoyed, Bob. Well, it's just I'm familiar with your views. I've heard them all before, uh, and I don't know what to say. I mean, uh, you know, oh. the, uh, well, you've heard my I, I, views. I just thought it was important that uh, the the you should have the Ron transformation of the debate. transformation that Brownstein says is at stake is the same transformation we've been talking about. He's the guy you should debate. You should debate Ron Brownstein. I'd love to debate Ron Brownstein. Get him in the parrot room. I'll just watch. Email him. I think you should have Zelensky in the parrot room. He'd probably come. He beamed himself into the, he beamed himself into the Cannes Film Festival the other day. Uh, Zelensky, I think, is aware. Of the opening of a can. Zelensky just yesterday was talking about how the how bloody the next phase is going to be. I think he gets that there's going to be some ugly shit coming down soon, um, and uh, not everyone does. The um, and maybe it won't, but uh, I think I think he sees things taking a turn for the worse. There are people who think that the surrender at Mariupol kind of triggered. The, the seeming breach, which was kind of like the guys in the trenches who have been ordered to stay there and take this punishment, watch their comrades die, or like once the, once the guys in Mariupol surrendered, were like, wait, why do they get to surrender? Uh, I don't know. That's a total conjectural theory. Well, what's but this? It, I, I missed this argument. Well, uh, it was just one dubious guy making the argument, connecting the two. And, and all of this assumes that I'm not misreading what's going on right now. But uh, it, his argument was, you've had these guys in the trenches, in the Donbass, these Ukrainians, just, just absorbing incredible punishment. They're ordered right. to hold the line. They can't retreat. Um, and that when the Mariupol guys retreated, this became harder to do, just psychologically. They're just like, the, the, you know. It's easier to do. The Mariupol guys are 
getting killed and thrown into prison camps and putting on, being put on trial for war crimes. I don't think they're getting killed. But, but the point was, if they, can, if they can not stay and die, why can't we retreat? But uh, this is sheer conjecture. Let me do mm -hmm. Ben Wettis real quick, okay? It's not like, I don't think it's like you go to Hogan's Heroes prison camp and have a good time with Colonel Clank. No, it's yeah. not. It still amazes me that that show was on American TV that soon after World War II. But I think, oddly, that was like an era of less like less Holocaust sensitivity, for example, than, than later. Does that make sense to you? Right, and there wasn't a real Holocaust themes of the show. It was a Well, World that's War my II point, theme. though. But, but I mean, I think it would be harder 15 years later. See, I can't control my variables because... I think, I think you could, on cable somewhere, somebody is planning a show about, a, about a Auschwitz, the comedies in Auschwitz featuring, you know, whoever the modern-day equivalent of Bob Crane is. Yeah. Well, of course, it wasn't. It was just a POW camp. It wasn't a concentration camp. But right, still. but I'm saying that's the next step. We're crazier than we were back then. Well, yeah. now it's just a thousand flowers are blooming yeah. like everything else. But this was the era of network TV right. where, you know, you had to go over a lot of hurdles to get on network TV. And that's right. the only reason it's kind of notable. But, okay, Ben Wittes. Let me do Ben Wittes quickly. I just said I would. It's not that great, but let's get it done. Um, but that means I got to find the damn. Uh, the, the fact that I'm having so much trouble finding it. Okay, so click. Twitter thread should magically show up. So the New York Times uh, runs this piece, which it was an editorial, not an opinion piece. As you said, uh, let me read a little of it. It was right along my, uh, it was on my vibe. Uh, I'm, I'm quoting, a decisive military victory for Ukraine over Russia in which Ukraine regains all territory Russia has seized since 2014 is not a realistic goal. Though Russia's planning and fighting have been surprisingly sloppy. Russia, Russia remains too strong, and Mr. Putin has invested too much personal prestige in the invasion to back down. All true. Uh, the U.S. and NATO are already deeply involved militarily and economically. Unrealistic expectations could draw them ever deeply, ever deeper into a costly, drawn-out war. Uh, blah blah blah. You, you get the point. And and so they're saying we shouldn't write Ukraine a blank check. Uh, and and keep just giving them all the weapons they want. So his uh, uh, he tweets the New York Times editorial page. It's a thread. His first tweet is the New York Times editorial page endorses pressuring Ukraine to cede territory to Russia. Really shameful, guys. First of all, like shameful is. You know, it's an attempt to just stigmatize them like like, oh, you know, I mean, if, if you can convince the world that people are, are should be ashamed. I mean, that's the end of the conversation. They've done something shameful. I mean, you're a fucking think tank, like argue rationally. Now, as for that part of this tweet, New York Times editorial page endorses pressuring Ukraine to cede territory to Russia. I mean, is it pressure? Is it really pressuring Ukraine to say we are not going to give you a bunch of shit under these circumstances, right? I mean, it's not like we're saying we're going to sanction you if you don't cede stuff to them. We're the ones paying for this war, you know? It's it's just, I think pressuring is a little bit misleading. I mean, who goes around giving billions and billions to countries with no understanding at all about what they'll do with it? I'm sure Witty is when... Trump did his thing with Zelensky, said that Trump was pressuring Zelensky. So at least he's being consistent. 
Well, that was much closer to pressuring. He was saying, here's something I am supposedly compelled by Congress to give you. I'm going to withhold it. That's a, you know, that, that well, was that implicit when is, is it maybe you're not going to get all this 40 billion if you don't agree with yeah. us. But anyway, there in my book, it wasn't the problem. So it wasn't so much the pressuring as the, the purpose of the pressure. But anyway, okay. So his second tweet is, uh, he quotes the part, uh, but as the war continues, Mr. Biden should also make clear to President Zelensky and his people that there is a limit to how far the U.S. and NATO will confront Russia and limits to the arms, money, and political support they can muster. It is imperative that the Ukrainian government's decision be based on a realistic assessment of its means and how much more destruction Ukraine can sustain. He quotes that part via screenshot and then just writes, this is exactly and precisely wrong, period. That's the whole argument there. Uh, also, okay, then the next tweet is, he quotes some woman. He says, also, what Andrea Chalupa, this woman, said, if you have to say something, quote, is not appeasement, end quote, that's because it's appeasement. What the fuck kind of argument is that? So the Times did say mm -hmm. this is an appeasement. But, but like, what the hell kind of argument is it to say <laughs> That whenever somebody says this isn't the case, it is the case. I mean, so so I, I, do I have to go further? What kind of bullshit is this? He's at a think tank, right? I mean, um, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. He's saying, it, I mean, he's saying so he can go around saying to people this is appeasement, and if they say it's not appeasement, it means he's right, and presumably if they say silent, it means they've conceded. Well, he just pretty much wins all the time, doesn't he? Um, I mean, this is such bullshit. They, they um, uh, oh, Alexander yeah. Chalupa, by the way, for for the British among us, this is, is uh, the Andy. leading Ukraine advocate within the Democratic Party. This is Andrea Chalupa. Oh, maybe there's maybe there's a Chalupa dynasty, or maybe it's Andrea Chalupa Industrial Complex. The final tweet in the four tweet thread. Also, one other thing, when a country and people are facing genocidal invasion from a major power, your job as an editorial page is not to wag your finger at them and tell them there's a limit to the support they can expect. I'm sorry, but it's a pretty loose definition of genocide. I mean, it brings us back to Ann Applebaum after Bucha saying, see, they're trying to eliminate the Ukrainian people. You know, I just heard a podcast with a Rolling Stone journalist who was uh, in Ukraine, and he was very, he said, yeah, Bucha, I think, I don't buy the idea that it was, uh, that this was, um, that it wasn't the Russians that did it, blah, 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 you know, he, he's not, he's not making apologies for them, but he said, I've been in a number of towns where the Russians withdrew, and you just didn't see this. It's not something they're doing systematically, A, and B, and obviously, none of this is to excuse it, it's war crimes, but B, the circumstances in Bucha, and I could elaborate, are the kinds of circumstances in which American soldiers have done stuff like this and soldiers tend to. But the idea, but, but just like, one more thing. This, if you look at the argument that this is genocide, and, and, and in principle, I'm fine, define it however you want, but be consistent. If this is genocide, uh, you probably can make a pretty good argument that Putin is right when he said Ukraine was committing genocide against the ethnic Russians in Donbass. I mean, I won't elaborate, and maybe it's not true, but I do think you could make the case um, 
that, uh, you know, there were atrocities there. And if you want to generalize from them and, and see it as the, as the policy of Ukraine, um, fine. Uh, and there were attempts to uh, kind of dampen the, uh, you know, the, the cultural ethnic identity of Russian speakers there by kind of demoting the language. But anyway, that's, what, that's where the definition of genocide has been completely watered down. So it's extinguishing a culture and not extinguishing people. Well, I, yeah, whichever one he's talking about, I think Putin was talking about a little of both. And it's just. Uh, Bob, I would remind you that denial of genocide puts you in some very unpleasant company. <laughs> I know. Uh, the, um, but I, I, I digress. Um, I mean, is anyway, it too that, much that, to that, ask? That, I, I thought Witty's was better than that. He can do better. He can do better, but but the incentives on Twitter to do what he's done. He's got he's got probably half a million followers because of because of emoting like this. It works. Um, well, when you tap into the Chalupa Industrial Complex, you get rewarded. Oh, I need a nap. That that really took I just, it out of I, me. I'm man. sorry. I love just watching love, me. Just no. Crumble. I love the fact that the leading Ukrainian advocate has the same name as a as a popular Mexican dish. Chalupa. Uh, but it's, like it's Alexander, not Andrea. No, it wouldn't shock me if they're related. Um, and they then may maybe the, illegal immigrants, Mickey. They may be just one person. That. I very much doubt it. But, um, uh, but I'm glad you switched it back to my topic, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Because <laughs> there are a couple of points that I didn't make before. Um, so the... Um, I can quickly talk about this Jonathan Chate article I liked. Okay. He, 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 it's about charter schools. Apparently, uh, Biden has completely sided with the teachers unions in terms of squashing charter schools. Uh, what I didn't realize, and this, I, I, thought the, I thought the evidence on charter schools was mixed, wasn't clear that they were, were um, that good for kids. Uh, and, and, and Chate claims that the new evidence from some of the same people that had the mixed evidence shows that they are good for kids, that, that the charter schools are decisively winning the evidence race, hmm. uh, which makes the teachers unions all the more panicked. You have to kill them now before they become even more popular. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Is, the, is there selection bias? I mean, I know in our school district, parents can choose to enter a lottery for the charter school. The parents who he, enter are these driven parents. Right. He addresses that. Kids. He addresses that. There's some studies that are done by random lottery, and they also show an effect, not mm -hmm. not not by the driven parents. Uh, and you know, and they ought, this, he claims the studies also show, which is the main argument against charter schools, that even the left behinds who don't go to charter schools do just as well. They don't do better, but they don't do worse, uh, presumably because uh, the argument is that there's a competition effect that because the public school then has to compete with the with the charter school that it gets a little better. It is hard to believe that it's a better, you know, that the 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 clientele of a public school isn't much worse for the kids, unless unless it's true that kids who are like in the middle of the pack learn better when the smart kids aren't around, which is possible. Because then they're at the top of the pack, right? And they yeah. get they get uh, they get the serotonin effect. Uh, so I don't know. Anyway, 
it, it's it, he claims they've 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 addressed that issue and and refuted it. Uh, I don't know if they've refuted it decisively. You would think there'd be huge selection bias. Um, anyway, they so apparently his his chronology, and I I don't really doubt it is Obama was reasonably favorable to charter schools. He he let them expand. I don't think he was that favorable because he had the teachers unions to deal with. But uh, and then DeVos came under Trump, and she went too far by opening up to not public charter schools, which are regulated, but uh, private, you know, public funding for private charter schools like Catholic schools, and that, that lost a whole lot of supporters, according to Shade. But now Biden's come in and basically done what the teachers unions want, which is shut them down. I mean, according according to uh, Chait, one of the criteria to get a charter un, under under the federal rules, and I assume this means to get federal funds that would go to a charter, um, is uh, are are there more students than spaces available in the public school? If there's spaces available in the public school, you can't find a charter found a charter, which is insane. The point of charter schools isn't to soak up surplus students; it's because the regular schools are shitty or or not good enough, and we think we can do better with a charter school, whether they're empty spaces or not. Uh, so that's just a completely extraneous uh, fuck charter schools. What is schools the thing criteria. that makes charter schools work? I mean, you can fire the teachers. Number one, uh, number two is uh, they're very, um, very focused, and they tend they don't have gymnasiums, they don't have bands, they don't have football teams. They oh, they have don't no have distractions. I don't think so. Good idea. I they, I, I, they tend to be. Chait goes into it. There are three things. Uh, one of them is that they're focused. Uh, it, but the third thing, and the most important thing, is if you're no good after two or three years, they say, "Sorry, you need to find another line of work or another school." Uh, and you mean the teachers or the students. It's hard to do with the unionized teacher. I mean, I have a very crude view of of teachers' unions. Which yeah, is, I, and not a favorable one. I know. But it's it's a it it it's it's that um, Shanker's union was okay the NEA Al Shanker and, and then and then they and then they founded all these ed, they they super credentialized teaching and founded all these schools of education which are basically mills for generating mediocre teachers and the NEA was founded which was the rival the more left wing tough ass rival to Shanker's union was founded. To prevent these mediocre teachers from being fired, and when Shanker would sort of allow the mediocre teachers to be fired, he cared about the profession of teaching. He wanted schools to be excellent. He wasn't a traditional labor union in the sense of solely representing the interests of his workers. Uh, the NEA was founded to solely represent the interests of the workers, many of whom were these semi-competent graduates of education schools, uh, and so that's who we who we're left with now. Uh, you see, that's an even cruder view than you thought. No, that's about what I thought. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I certainly think it's over-credentialized. Uh, I mean, the, sort of the key issues do shut down the education school. That I don't know. I sort of think they're completely worthless. Um, well, there must be some kind of education that's good for them, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, substance, uh, education in, in the actual substance of their teaching. But education schools don't teach that. They teach about the process of 
So, Mickey, you know uh, what the Matt Welch, who's not the Matt Welch you don't like, says? Um, there is a Matt Welch I like? No. Uh, <laughs> no. I like my friend Matt Welch. I like my friend Matt Welch. I thought the other one was named Matt Walsh. Like Matt Walsh? Anyway. I know Matt Welch, who was editor of Reason, as it was a friend of mine in Los Angeles. And but I great, thought you had a grudge against him now. In music. What? Don't you have some grievance against him now? I do have a, I have a grudge against him because one time he said, have you read the LA Times end of year edition? And I hadn't. And when I went there, there was an attack on me by Matt Welch. <laughs> so yeah, I, thought, I thought that was a weird way to get me to read it. But um, I'd, be, I'd be slow to forgive. If he's, I were been, you. he's been, he's been, he's a pretty nice guy and he was been a very good friend. And, and I like, I like his music. Lot. I like him a lot. Uh, he, he he did some good trashing of John McCain back when John McCain was still alive. Anyway, there's he's a, Matt a very, Welch. very smart guy. Yes. And As very many good libertarians are. There are a lot of smart libertarians. I'll give him But he's also very good on TV, which is yep. a special skill. He was good blogging head. Uh, I, he, he would be a great blogging head. You should have him on. You should give him his own show. Actually, he has his own show now. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. There's a podcast with three guys. It's very guy. Something on Paloma Media. Is, is that what you're talking is about? It on Paloma? Is, is there a Paloma? There's a Paloma Media media that's run by my friend Nancy Rommelman. Uh, but I think she's she's not a guy, so she's on a, a different podcast. This is called, I think, is this called the Fifth Column or something? Your podcast? Oh, that could be. So anyway, no, there's a different Matt Welch. He's a commenter in the pair room. And he says, stop griping about Station Eleven and then uh, insert GIF of old Muppets heckling from balcony. Bob and Mickey really need to watch it to the end. The fact that they probably won't makes me sad. Do better. He's doing that. He said and that then he, And then he completely gives the game away. He says, in all seriousness, I buy every grievance they uttered and still find the show a triumph by the time the final credits Roll. That's interesting because my wife, whenever I complain about it, she says, but the final episode is great. That's because it illustrates the redemptive power of art, Bob. They, they always illustrate the redemptive power of art. It's the oldest trick in the book. But there I'm must so be sick of the special. fucking redemptive power of art. There must be something special about that final episode. We now have two people attesting to it. Doesn't this guy talk about the redemptive power of art? Or is the other I will guy continue about with his comment. Okay. <laughs> He says, uh, he says, I, I bet uh, Bob and Mickey will too, meaning uh, uh, I guess like it. And then he says, yes, even perhaps especially Mickey, the emotional power of excellent art endures even in the worst of circumstances, be it global apocalypse or woke Hollywood sensitivity readers and quota counters on the warpath. I don't know. I'm growing pessimistic. I, but I'll, I, I think I will persevere. I think what we'll need after the apocalypse is rivets and food. And the redemptive power of art can maybe be lower down on the Maslow hierarchy. Uh, um, well, we'll, uh, I'll take a look. Uh, you know, I got, I, I got, I got, I got domestic politics and if, a wife who wants me to endure. So if it was music, I would put it higher. Because music doesn't have to be redemptive or meaningful. It's just music, and it sort of appeals to you on a more prim primal basis. So get, what rhythm if, 
my favorite song is Get Rhythm If You Got the Blues. Who who did that? A bunch of people, Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, and Ry Cooter. You want to sing a little for us? I don't know who wrote it. Care to hum a few bars? Get rhythm. If you got the blues, get rhythm. If you got the blues, little rock and roll down in your soul. Get going, get rhythm. If you got the blues. It's about a shoeshine boy. who That was one of your better. That's the dirtiest job in town. Shining shoes at but people's feet. But in Mickey's Utopia, it can have. corner on a dirty street. But in Mickey's Utopia, it can have dignity. And even if he's getting no money, as long as there's like a public park, it's cool. And he has rhythm. So uh, speaking of TV, what about this severance thing? You watched just 10 minutes of the first episode? I just watched. I, she answered five questions, and then, and then I, I had to go to sleep because it was three in the morning. That's pathetic. Uh, it's pathetic. You should, you should watch more truth. of it. You should it's watch. The harsh I, truth. So, so, is there not? We can't even. Discuss I love. I love truth. the fact that it's not a. It's not a philosophical exploration of what it means to have your brain divided in two, but it in fact is a mystery of what are they doing in that building. Well, I it's love, a little bit of both, and, and it, it could I also. I love the fact be, that it has the cheesy mystery quality. It can also be a kind of. Uh, allegorical comment on work, the nature of work and how people cope and work life That's actually interesting. That, that, that's an old, um, I once wrote an article about that. The, the civil service view of government employment is that you're not passionate, you're a professional, you do your work on the job, do what your, the elected bosses tell you to do, and then you leave your work at the job and go become a normal person at home who doesn't really who who's may have completely different political opinions or none at all. Uh, and actually, Ju- Justice Holmes wrote a whole passage describing this ideal civil servant who had this sort of split brain between what they did at work and what they do at home. And I think that's just insane. Anybody who goes into government should be passionate about government, passionate about what they're doing. They shouldn't leave their work at home and on the, on the job. And it's also that's much more congruent with what human beings are really like. So designing a civil service based on the former, the, the you know Justice Holmes' view is crazy. Um, yeah, maybe you should quickly revisit the premise for even though we did once already. The idea is they they plant this thing in your brain, which means the version of you that's at work will know nothing ab- about your life outside of work and vice versa. Even though there's just one physical you goes back and forth. Once you get in that elevator and go home, you remember nothing of what happened at work and vice versa. And this is a decision that everyone has chosen to make. Only people have chosen, uh, chosen this lifestyle do it. Um, I, I mean, I think it, it, you know, it can work in both directions. I think if this is a comment, it's, well, it could be a comment on two things. It could it could be a comment on uh, work, you know, your overlords demanding that you leave aside, you know, your humanity almost and become a worker drone and not let, you know, whatever is happening uh, to you on the outside interfere with your productivity. It could be that. It could be uh, and there's a, a character who's an example of this kind of the idea of using work 
to numb, you know, to, to ease the pain, right. Of, of, of your private life or something. Just, Wait. just, yeah. This is a, a supposedly, uh, the, 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 the question all the Gen Zers ask when they go to job interviews is what about my work life balance? Which means I don't want to really work very hard at this job. You know? Uh, and, it doesn't sound, it's not like they've achieved a work-life balance. They just, the one has nothing they, to do with the other. They sever the two. But they, they, they spend a lot of time outside of work, right? I, I think that phrase actually occurs in the series at some point. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, um, but as you'll see, there's one character who's, uh, who, who's chosen this life because he's suffering so much in his personal life because of a loss that he wants part of the day to, um, you know, to, to have a version of him that has no recollection of that. But here's what I didn't understand is what good does that do? Because well, he doesn't know he's having no recollection. Right. And in fact, they say the innies, the innies are the people at work. The Audi is the you that's not at work. The innies say to each other, like, wow, it feels like no time passed between when I left the office and when I came back, except maybe I'm a little refreshed from presumably sleepers, but basically, where did the time go? Well, it should work the same way for the Audi, in which case there's no period of time in which you're getting relief. Whereas this right. guy and supposedly it, chose the this so that the the any time would be relief time, but it's not relief time for the Audi time because the Audi's not conscious of the time, and what, right? And, and why don't why aren't the innies driven crazy by? The constant barrage of work since they have no memory of the time when they took a vacation doesn't seem very conducive to productivity to think you've had haven't had a vacation in 20 years even though you go home every day doesn't doesn't seem like it um my wife kind of came up with an answer to my question uh it was like well if you assume that like i don't know something the ratio of uh, never mind. I don't. I don't even remember it uh, exactly. It's I'm, not sounding. Yeah. I'm sure it will all be explained in the final episode about the redemptive power of art. The final episode leaves you plenty of cliffhangers for next season, but oh, really? it, it, uh, okay. stu enough stuff gets resolved so that watching it is rewarded. Um, um, I will say the one philosophical question you could keep track of this is the one that uh paul bloom raised on very bad wizards podcast which i mentioned last time uh is just the role of autobiographical memory in the construction of self and uh, like one way i would put it is like there's two ways your at least that your past can influence you you know if you have a, a say a traumatic experience your memory of it can haunt you, but it could also be the case that you don't remember it at all, and it changes your your pattern of behavior. So that you encounter a, the the circumstance, and you get a panic attack, but you have no memory of why. And those are two separate avenues of influence. And I guess maybe Paul is saying that the conscious part of, uh, you know, the actual conscious recollection of your past is critical to uh to to your your the self you know as it is in, in severance the, the the second part the unconscious that persists 
Well, so it seems you, to you, me you see that a there, stapler and all of a sudden you react in horror and you don't know well, why you're reacting in horror? That's the interesting thing, is that the innies do have personalities and they must have come from somewhere, including past influences, right? Even though they don't, don't remember any of the influences. They're, they're definitely very different kinds of people and I doubt they're, the idea is that, well, that's just because they have different genes. Yeah. Um, Reminds me of... Uh, a friend of mine who had shock treatment, yeah, which worked. Yeah, I, I've heard of it working. And and uh, and he he um he had a whole wall of CDs and he had forgotten which ones were good and which ones were bad, Seriously? and he had to listen to every fucking one of them again to figure it out. Wow. Um. So uh. Anyway, um. I so think he'd what? also. Yeah. He'd also broken up with his girlfriend mm -hmm. and then they wiped his memory and then he started going out with her again and hadn't realized that they'd broken up. Seriously? Seriously. Whoa. That's some heavy shock treatment. You know, yeah. um then they broke up again. Hmm. Um the uh so let's see. Uh you know. I have a little thought I had about Tucker that won't get us back into immigration. I also <laughs> have the dead end podcast stuff. Well, go to Tucker, see if it, see if you see well, if you can a, avoid the. Yeah, no, I think terrific. we can. We 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 had mentioned. We, we, no, we had discussed. Uh, uh, I I listened to a podcast interview with the guy who wrote the New York Times takedown on Tucker. And we talked about how his biological mother left, never, they never heard from her again, you know, their marriage didn't work and so on. The thing I didn't tell you that this guy said is that what Tucker says he took away from that was like, he, apparently she had been like, at least at times, extremely searingly critical of him. Right. What he took away from that was like, never let your critics get in your head. And that's what Tucker says. And I think that's a recipe for success in the modern media ecosystem, right? I mean, like on social media, if you can be impervious to being hated, you can become very famous. I think, uh, hasn't that been a recipe for success throughout all human history? That's, that's what I, I bet, wonder. I bet Attila I the Hun didn't let critics get inside his head. Yeah, but he wasn't a media star. Uh, that was George Bush's problem with the Iraq slip. He's letting the critics get inside his head. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel bad for him. I did feel kind of sorry for him because you can tell he's been haunted by that. Um, but is he haunted by the failure of the war or the bad odor in which he is because because of the failure of the war? In other words, he's tarnished his name, which would upset him even if he thinks I, the I war thought, was justified. I thought that particular slip might reflect actual awareness <laughs> of how bad he fucked up. I do know he did. I once went to a correspondence dinner uh, back when I was worthy of that vision of hell. And I was at uh, a table with a bunch of uh, Iraq veterans who were disabled and at Walter Reed. And Bush visited them all the time. Oh, I bet he was that kind of guy, yeah. He was that kind of guy. I don't think he was a bad person. Yeah. Um, he had unfortunate qualities. Um. So he may he may feel it personally in a way that others might not. Um, 
the uh, well, that's interesting. But but that I mean that's you know also not dwelling on not being an obsessive person like me and dwelling on past mistakes and always moving on. Let the past be the past. That's obviously also key. I think we're both very good at that, being, Mickey. Being relentlessly upbeat. That's me all over. I mean, it's like I I, I am just so ill suited to the modern world. It's sad when you look at. In the dictionary for relentlessly upbeat, they show you a picture of me. Um, You're, I think you have thicker skin than I have. You must. I have, I have pretty thick skin from being on the interview. I don't, I don't block anybody. I, their arrows just pierce me to the core. Don't you? Uh, you never mute people on Twitter. Never mute people. Never. No, there's one guy. There's it's, guys it's, I've been tempted to. There's guys I've been tempted to lately. It's but very satisfying. You know why it's satisfying? Because they don't know. Exactly. And they spend their time. Trying to figure out. Wasting no, no. Them. They spend their time saying these things, you know, formulating these tweets that they think will really hurt you. And they're completely wasting their time. But the, but the answer is you don't know what they're saying about you. So you're at a yeah, disadvantage. First of all, most of these people that I mute, I mean, it's two kinds of people I mute. But the kinds I'm, these kind are rarely like you know, titans of Twitter, they're people who don't have many followers. And what that means is that when they tweet at you, which is usually what they do with your first name in the thing, um, nobody sees it. Because the only, I, I, you know, a lot of people still don't know this about Twitter. If you lead a tweet with the handle of the person you're tweeting to, that's the first thing, you don't put a period before it or anything. The only people who will see that in the ordinary course of events, unless they really go looking for it, are people who are following both of you. Both of you. Right. So there. Yeah. Also, also, if you're like one, if you're one of these uh, successful people, you don't care to know what they're saying about you. If you're like Tucker, um, I think Tucker does care what people say about him. He just doesn't care what his mother says about him. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's got to have some. He's got to have a degree of indifference I don't have. Um, but so, uh, the, yeah, one th I, I'm slowly going through this, uh, this, this shall not pass book. And it's become clear that the, the leading candidate for why did Biden make the fatal error of his first half of his first term, uh, which is to go with the full left, uh, full progressive build back better agenda instead of passing a smaller agenda that might have actually gotten through, uh, is the megalomaniacal, you are the new FDR idea that was reinforced by these historians. Because he um, at one point says he knows that Obama is jealous of all the PR he's getting for being more transformational than Obama. A, which is insane, because Obama passed Obamacare, which is more Wait. transformational than anything in Biden's, uh, that Biden's passed, and probably than anything in his agenda. Who wrote this book? Two former political reporters who are now New York Times reporters. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Burns and... Jonathan... And Martin. Yeah. Um, and they're good reporters, it's, but the problem of the book is, you know, if they get a source who gives them an anecdote, they put the anecdote in the book. But in no way does that comprise a, a full, you know, full history of, of the Biden administration. It has very little on, on what goes on in the White House. 
mm-hmm. you have to infer most of it by inference. Like when when Ron Klain, uh, you know, over overrules Obama, overrules Biden on on uh, student loans, you have an idea of where the power is in the White House. But um, uh, you know, they, they don't have an insider going. You know, Clayton really runs this place. He's the president. You know, a n- normal history would have that sort of quote. You have none of that. No, nobody's talking out of school mm-hmm. uh, while, at least while Biden's in office. Uh, so it, it misses that. It, you lose a lot. But, um, it did have somebody quoting Biden as saying he knows that Obama was jealous of him, which is seems pretty delusional on many levels. The that. Wait, Obama was jealous of Biden? Obama's jealous of Biden because Biden's getting all this good press for being the new FDR. A, he wasn't the new FDR. B, he hadn't become the new FDR yet. C, he should have some perspective on people who tell him he's the new FDR. Well, C, who wants his approval ratings? I mean, why, you know. uh, er, er, Early on, he had better approval ratings than now, although they weren't very good. Um, Um, But that's a good point. Thank you. I'm... Follow politics closely. Um, um, so, can I uh, talk a little about the? There's a big podcast? issue, you know, that's dragging down his approval rating. <laughs> As I said, can I talk a little about the Dead End podcast? Yes. Okay. So, when we la- last left, I mean, it, last week's episode didn't advance the plot a whole lot, but uh, remember, there's this figure named George Norcross who is commonly identified as the political boss of South Jersey, it explains like kind of what that means and how he became that. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, so, I mean, first of all, he started young. In his like early 20s, he was uh, head of the parking authority in Camden, New Jersey, a pretty big you know, city in South Jersey adjacent to Philly. Uh, the mayor dies. The mayor had been the, quote, boss. And... They say that George Norcross then became the boss, and it was very unusual because he wasn't elected to office. Traditionally, uh, you know, the boss uh, is somebody who's been elected to office. So what does it mean to be the kind of boss that George Norcross became? And it seems to me his genius was the following. Like, um, and maybe this wasn't even all that original. I, I don't know. but But basically... When you think about it, you know, there's a whole lot of pay for play in politics, including in local politics. Uh, some business interest uh, donates to your campaign. In return, you vote for something on the city council. You know, it's like a lawn care company and you vote against the ordinance that's going to ban gas powered leaf blowers or something, you know. Um, and a lot of that happens, like on a candidate by candidate, donor by donor basis. And Norcross just basically became the middleman for all the candidates, you know, uh, in Camden for for starters. So I guess he has these organizations and you can donate to them. I guess they're nonprofits or something, or they're kind of like functionally like super PACs or something. Anyway, the point is you give the money to them, they give the money to candidates. um, And then he he so he's controlling the money of the candidates. He sometimes asks for favors uh, from the candidates. They say he doesn't over ask for the most part. They can do what they want, but when he says something's important, you got to go his way. Uh, and over time, 
through this process, he came to control so many, or at least have influence over so many officers, you know, uh, public officials, that I, I guess he can just, first of all, he can deliver big things to sufficiently big donors. It's like, you know, in Camden, at one point, he had all six council members. They were all Norcross people. And they all, if he said something's really, really important, they'd all go for him. So he can, you know, like normally uh, you, you give the money the, uh, to the candidate. They say, look, I voted your way on the leaf blower thing. Sorry, it didn't work out. I voted your way. Well, Norcross can deliver the, the whole thing. He's got all the candidates. So he can, right. so, so he gets power that way. Um, and then, um, and then that in turn, the degree of power he amasses in turns allows him to extract money for just all kinds of shit. Like there's one case that came to court where uh, there's uh, an official, uh, well, there's a landlord. He owns an office building and one of its tenants is a county agency. And the landlord gets uh, in the mail, he gets an in, 10 invitations to some big political dinner. Well, lucky you, you get 10 invitations. Now, if you want to actually come, they cost $1,000 a seat. That's $10,000. And it's not clear it's important you actually show up, but might be nice to actually at least buy the tickets. Right. Uh, he, he does it. And he learns that he needs to talk to George Norcross. And Norcross says, well, what can we do to get you on the team or something or make you more yeah. of a team player? He says, look, I'm a team player. I just don't have $10,000. <laughs> And the next thing the guy knows, the county agency that rents the floor space is just refusing to pay its rent. They're not paying him anymore. So you can, you know, you just have that degree. He ultimately amasses that degree. Of, he can turn on and off spigots to that extent. And um, that's basically his, his, uh, his, his show, I guess. Uh, I, hope, I hope Donald Trump doesn't read this book. Because uh, that would be a model, this this Paul Kane model that I was talking about for how Trump could amass influence without running for president and make a lot of money uh, if he controls ten senators, let's say. That's a good uh, point. A whole, all, you know, and doles out the money to them and collects all his money from his various scams and doles it out to the ten senators, uh, and then you know, tells him what to do on occasion. Uh, he could be very powerful and rake in more money. Now, knowing Trump, he would boast about it on Twitter and he wouldn't be sparing about his request. He would ask, right. ask for fealty on every single issue. But uh, Right, he couldn't, he wouldn't have the discipline to keep it quiet when that was in his interest. Right, and he wouldn't have the discipline to, to uh, you know, not take petty revenge on his enemies when he could, when there were more important issues. Um, yeah. Now, one other thing from the podcast that I meant to mention, well, there's two things related to Chris Christie that I, one, I learned this week, the other last week and forgot to mention, but so, and, and quickly, if anybody missed all this, so uh, pretty near where I live in New Jersey, there was a, a couple that was murdered apparently initially, uh, and, and the guy worked for Norcross and, um, it was a very prominent New Jersey politician. Um, in fact, uh, you know, there were two former governors at his wedding. Well, uh, you know, the, the county prosecutor uh, who was appointed by the governor in New Jersey, apparently, had deemed it a murder-suicide, seemed like bullshit increasingly. <clears throat> and so uh, 
uh, it seemed like they two had, they deemed it, they said the husband went crazy or something, killed the wife to kill himself and set his house on fire as he was dying or something. Um, seems like bullshit. And a bunch of politicos were so suspicious who had liked this guy. And by the way, I talked to a neighbor who knew this guy who was murdered. She said he was a great guy. He wasn't part of like New Jersey corruption so far as she knows. Um, oh, and by the way, there's a scene in the latest podcast with where they uh, talked to his. So the son of the murdered guy actually was, well, I didn't even get, get into that, but he was a pretty prominent lawyer in, in New Jersey politics. And he says, they say, well, did you ask your father, why was he going to work for George Norcross? Cause you know, had kind of a shady reputation. And the son says, well, he said, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, what's, I know. What's the worst that could happen? Well, what he said was, <laughs> he said, I think his bark is, is worse than his bite. Uh, and he also said, look, I think he genuinely wants to help Camden. And I will say, like, there's a lot of development and stuff that happened in Camden, uh, you know, that got done. And, and, and I don't doubt that Norcross tells himself that, hey, it's, it's all for the greater good. And look at this development. And, and, and you know, there's charter, I think charter schools, you'd love it. Um, and, uh, and we got all this done. Camden is the place that Zuckerberg gave all the money to? No, that's Newark. That, that was him and Cory Booker. When Cory Booker was, uh, was he mayor then or was he already senator? Anyway, I think he was mayor at that point. If, was he mayor of Newark? Anyway, no, that was Newark. That didn't work out. Um, the, uh, where was I? So anyway, the son, you know, I, anyway, it sounds like, John Sheridan, the murder guy, thought, I really can do some good for Camden collaborating with Norcross. Uh, the neighbor of mine says he's that kind of guy. They arguably did do good anyway, but but uh, he's, uh, he's dead now. Anyway, so all these politicos get suspicious and write a letter and say, we want an investigation into <clears throat> this seeming murder, including two former governors, a lot of high-ranking people, signed this letter uh, when, and, and Chris Christie was governor at this point, as I understand it. And what he, his concession in response, he didn't start an investigation, but he did when this county prosecutor with this very dubious, who'd come up with this very dubious ruling of uh, murder-suicide came up for reappointment. Uh, Chris Christie didn't reappoint him. And that was the concession to these people. Now, you know where this county prosecutor then went to work? Uh, for Donald Trump. In this, to the state attorney general's office. So Christie, <laughs> he just, so it's, it's like, now the last thing I'll say about Christie, I had told you prominent New Jersey politician once pointed out to me, like, you know, back when Christie was a uh, crusading pros federal prosecutor before he was governor, he was cleaning up corruption, but he didn't touch Norcross's right. turf. You'll right. notice. Well, it turns out it's more than that. At one point, the there's a particular scandal or, or investigation or question about Norcross, and the, and it's being investigated at the state level. I don't know who's governor at this point, um, and uh, it's before Christie was governor, and they want to, I guess, get it off of their plate. They offer it to Christie. They say we think you, as the federal prosecutor, should investigate this, and Christie said, no, 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 thanks. And so he act he turned down that opportunity. Um, These are the things I've learned. Sounds, sounds like this podcast is uh, stalling 
because they don't have the goods on this guy. Well, I, yeah, I don't think they're going to come up with some kind of smoking gun. And I mean, they haven't even explicitly accused Norcross, but it's, it's, you know, obviously the insinuations are clear enough that Norcross's lawyers called them and, and tried to, I guess, intimidate them. The, the what reporter. Happened? Well, they, you know, this woman is, uh, she's a tough cookie. I think Nancy Solomon, this, this WNYC reporter right, who's right. doing the podcast, you know, she played some of the, the, tape where the lawyers are talking to her and and Norcross was apparently on the line but was silent. It's weird that there's no petition to uh, get rid of the coroner who said that Epstein committed suicide. Um, Even if Epstein did commit suicide, you think there'd be a whole lot of people who, who thought that that was a completely bogus, uh, you know, finding on her part. And... Uh, Although and, again, our Ben, our friend Ben Weiser, I think, thinks it was suicide, and he's an actually professional, objective reporter. I should get back in touch with him. Amen to that, Mickey. Have you heard um, sounds of my microphone rubbing on my clothes at all? No. Good. Okay. But that that would be, you know, highly provocative. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 my next, that my next be, question was going to be, and like, did it turn you on? That's like that's like we're in Madison Cawthorn test. Territory there, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Bob, touch my beak and I'll buy you a horse. <laughs> <laughs> touch yeah. my beak and I'll Mickey buy you a horse. Mickey had a parrot fail. <laughs> Sounds better go. with a parrot. Uh, it's better when it's clearly a joke. I'm I, glad you see that. What can I say? So I'm not sure if I'm at the end of everything I promised. I blew that one. Um, the, uh, I don't think I have, there are a couple of interesting issues, which one of which is, would the Build Back Better bill have made inflation worse? You have experts like Summers who, who said that the earlier bill would, would and in fact did make inflation Inflation worse. Who said that Trump's? the Build Back Better? No, Biden's. That okay. who said that? The, the big one that failed was allegedly paid for. So why would it make inflation worse? Right. Uh, and I guess there are two reasons. One is the balanced budget multiplier. If you if you government taxes money and then spends it, that has a stimulative effect because it eliminates the propensity to save. In other words, if, if the money had stayed with the consumers, they would have spent 90% of it, but saved 10%. The government spends it, it spends 100%. Uh, so there's that. And also, um, uh, and also there were all these programs that were funded for one year, but they were 10-year programs and incredibly expensive. Like, like this program that I vowed I was not going to mention this episode, but it involves sending money to children on a refundable basis. No and it costs cost $100 billion a year. It Never was funded it. for one year, uh -huh. but obviously somebody's going to have to fund the next $100 billion and the next $100 billion, and maybe they would let that go into the deficit. But um, I'd like to see somebody spell this out because if Larry Summers says it's not, not inflationary, that sort of carries a lot of weight, you know? Yeah. He's a, he he's a major guy. He's a political guy, so maybe it was a makeup call for him saying that the 
uh, earlier bill would be inflationary, except Jason Furman, who also said the earlier bill would be inflationary, also gave the second bill uh, a clean bill of health on inflation. So who knows? Also, Summers has got to be bitter about being chased out of Harvard uh, by political correctness in his view. So he wasn't uh, chased out of Harvard. He was chased out of the presidency of Harvard. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, and who knows how that manifests? A broad-based hatred of Democrats? Who knows? Who knows? Sheer um, speculation. Well, I'm sure they tried to I'm sure that was one of the reasons why they dismissed his warning about inflation was, oh, he's just bitter. He also he also didn't get the job as head of the Fed because they spread all this, uh, you know, the Yellen invoked the woman card. Yeah. Yellen's defenders invoked the woman card, which would also be very annoying. Well, I got to uh, admit, it wasn't, you know, I mean, he, he, you know, people have always said about Summers, like he just doesn't read the room. And I'm not in favor of reading rooms unless, say, you're president of a university and then you just have to think of yourself as a politician. You know, it's you gotta what, be what he said was it was a total bum rap in that in that, you know, all he was doing was speculating about, you know, the reasons why uh, women might not be in the tippy, tippy, tippy top rank of, was it mathematics or something? I forget um, what he even said. Was it about the he, uh, distribution along the... He had six reasons, and four of them were completely anodyne, and, and two of them were arguably, well, maybe women are stupider. Yeah. Maybe the distribution, women are just as smart on average, but the the variability of men is so great that the ones that are uh, high intelligence are a little higher than the women who tend to be uh, less. Well, volatile. on some of these things, you do get uh, more males, both at the high end and low end. Uh, I think that was his point. And there's a theoretically a Darwinian yeah. explanation. Doesn't, for that. doesn't sound like something you'd want to. No, I'm just saying if you're president of Harvard, there. you might just talk about how well the football team's doing would be what I might do. He's very, uh, He's a very blunt person. Yeah, that's, that's his. What, yeah, that's his whole. I ran into him once in 2004, when he still knew who I was, and he said, "Didn't you used to have pretensions to be a serious person?" That's what he said. Like instead of hello, <laughs> he didn't even say hello first. I don't, he may have said hello, but it was funny. I mean, he didn't mean he. He meant it sort of in a half funny way, well, but in a half he, serious he was, way. You know? Did it mean he was keeping track of your stuff, which would be very flattering? That's one way to put it, Bob. That's why I brought up the story. It was a humble brag. So, uh, oh, I said I would talk about Ukrainian nationalism. Okay, we're on tenderhooks. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I've been promising it. I'm not promising, threatening. Anyway, I deliver on all promises and threats. Ultimately, just quickly, uh, I'm. Uh, what's the name of this book? I'm reading about the Russian Revolution or listening to. It's called The People's Tragedy by Orlando Figgis or something. Does that make sense? Anyway. Uh, you have quite a day. You listen to the Dead Ed podcast and you go to the Russian military sites. It's a fucking roller coaster, it, man. You, okay. It's just it's just emotionally very I passionate. envy your lifestyle. Like it's, Epstein, you have a unique lifestyle. I don't know if it would be right for me. <laughs> I'm living the dream. Uh, so, uh, where was I? Okay. First point about little, little interesting thing about Ukrainian nationalism, much more than most European nationalisms, it was peasant based, rural based, and this is leading somewhere. According to this guy, um, most places, the word for citizen comes from the word for city. 
And he says that's, I, ge- I gather that's related, well, to just the prominence of cities in the formation of national consciousness, okay? It was urban people who were, you know, spreading the gospel of national unity or, or you know, or the folklore that whatever. Um, but in Ukraine, the word, the original word for citizen was based on the word for village, not city. Um, now, I should add, with all these nationalisms, they kind of draw on folklore. It, it, there's often a, a, an important kind of uh, peasant theme, you know, themes from peasant culture figure in the construction of national identity, fine. But in Ukraine, um, the, the, what seems to have happened, and let me, wh- where I'm leading is to a point I made earlier where I was saying I had learned, and this I had learned more from a podcast uh, than this book, but uh, that the socialists who created this, the Soviet Union appealed to nationalism, whereas the czar had tried to subdue uh, the line between nationalities and saying, Ukrainians, Russians, no real difference. We're all Slavs, you know? This, the, the socialists said, no, no, you're, you're, you're Ukrainians. This will be a, you, a, the Republic of Ukraine. We respect your national identity. What this book has shown me is how organically and naturally it happened that the socialists would be on that side, because um, at least in the case of Ukraine, uh, you know, the peasants, um, they saw, they, they had like apparently three kinds of oppressors that, uh, that they saw as oppressors, and to some extent maybe as were depicted as oppressors to them. Uh, there were Russians and Poles who tended to be the landowners, okay? And they were the mere peasants and didn't get a great deal. And then there were Jews in the cities, merchants and so on, who they came to believe were giving them a raw deal or something. I I suspect that might have been more like a a development uh, encouraged by propaganda or something. Whereas with landowners, it's like, yeah, it's just a very natural tension. But so the point... The point is, I, I'm just saying like, okay, so the socialists, the people who want a revolution in Russia, they're appealing to your class consciousness. In the case of Ukraine, at least, the class consciousness was already, you know, ethnic slash nationalistic uh, because the peasants were the Ukrainians, the landowners right. were either Russians or Poles. Right. So it just it just makes sense. And I gather it made different kinds of sense, maybe in other countries for the socialists to appeal to the nationalism. That's what I've learned about Ukrainian nationalism. Thank you. Fascinating. Um, uh, fascinating. Not as fascinating as the history of anarchism in Spain. But uh, go ahead. Spain, Spain was I, I don't quite know it. Spain was famously fertile, fertile ground for anarchism. And they they. The, Rus- the anarchists sent a Russian guy who didn't speak Spanish. He gave, he took a train trip through Spain. He gave like 17 lectures. And by the last one, Spain had become anarchist. <laughs> it was like incredibly effective. A few I'm, lectures, I'm, ex- a few I'm exaggerating, but he, but he was incredibly successful, even though he didn't speak Spanish. I, he had a I good mean, translator. 
I should add, uh, when it came time for the revolution, the appeal was much more to urban workers than to peasants. Peasants, I don't think, played nearly as big a role in the revolution. You would think. Anyway, anyway. But, but so many of these was, were peasants who had traveled to the cities and weren't having great experience, just like a lot of Americans at the turn of the century. And I think it's anyway, I think it's because the, the people in Spain were not peasants, they were workers on huge estates called Latifundia or like mm -hmm. Latifundia. They were essentially like proles of the land. And the but the, and, and the landlord was, you know, the landlord controlled like hundreds and hundreds of you know, thousands of acres, and uh, and all, all, basically, he didn't have to be a hands-on landlord. And all the all the workers had to do was shoot him, and the and the the latifundi would run itself the way it had before, which is sort of the vision of anarchism, which is you shoot the guy in power, and then you don't need him anymore. Hmm. Uh, so that anyway, that's my theory. A theory I, un untested by untested by uh, peer review, although it was. This was the this was the term paper that I lent to all my friends in college to submit to other courses, and it got grades all the way from A to C. So, the mixed opinions from the peer group. Well, you know what I I suspect is that you know a lot more about all this kind of shit than I do. All this no, that's all socialism, anarchism, me. Marxism. No, but I I know you know more about Marxism and and bolsheviks and shit and and i hope to know more <laughs> when i finish this book that's um, a good title for a podcast marxism and bolsheviks and shit and shit uh so you got the parrot out does that mean you think we're ending the near of uh nearing the, the end of this uh i think so yeah we're we're almost two hours i think we we have uh um, do, you, do you want to um is there any business you want to do but the rebranding? No. No. Well, I sent you an email. You did send me an email, but I didn't know if I could discuss that in public. You can if you want. I, well, I you, mean, you, 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 I like all the people you mentioned, so I'd love to. I'd be happy to be on podcast with them. Oh, I, I'm not sure I want you to mention them, but but the generic email, just because I was casual, and I mean, I, I haven't mentioned have, them. I may have, right. I know, but I mean, <laughs> uh, no. The what I said was when the rebranding happens, uh, I want. I'm planning to invite some early blogging heads on my show to talk. And I emailed you asking you if when I get around to doing this, you want to be in on any of the conversations yeah. and talk yeah. to any of these people. And I think you should get Zelensky to zoom in. But you are favorably disposed. Is that it? Yeah. And, and it, and if you have particular favorites, I guess you can email them to me. I just, I just got to steer the conversation toward uh, immigration. Immigration and, and child tax credit. Yeah, so you may not want me on, but uh, maybe you can sub for me. <laughs> um, okay. Um, uh, everything else I have is uh, is either small or downbeat. I don't think you want to end on a downbeat story. No, go small. Uh. Well, it's just sort of downbeat. Unemployment fraud during the pandemic mm -hmm. in California, $20 billion. Oh, I've got a little small upbeat COVID thing. So go ahead. I kind of that, upbeat. Go that's, ahead. That's so small. Um, uh, in, the, in the whole country, $163 billion. That's just an unbelievable amount of fraud. That's 
That's about three months of Ukraine support. Okay, but think of all the think of all the people who are like supported entirely by unemployment fraud. It's, it's almost it's almost as bad as the refundable. <laughs> Thank you yeah, for that um, self restraint. Partial though it was. I had some COVID. The big COVID controversy seems to be why is the CDC saying the current vaccines are enough when they could be developing uh, variant specific vaccines? And the whole. I've wondered about that. It, it, it's because they have this stupid idea that that implies that the vaccines don't work. Does it? I don't know. How about we it's, say it's, they it, work it, it, okay, but they could work better. But that is sort of the essence of Fauciism, isn't it? Don't people can only understand people one? People can handle big, zero complexity. Yeah, people can't handle complexity. You got to give them yeah. one simple message. Yeah. Um, Except he keep kept going back and forth on the messages, but uh, well, there's that too. Now, what I well, the thing I maybe you already know this, but I listened to this uh, Times Daily podcast about long COVID. And apparently the, what studies have been done into the question of whether having been vaccinated makes you less likely to get long COVID if you get COVID, the answer seems to be they do help. You are less likely to get long COVID if you've been vaccinated. I couldn't tell how solid the findings are, but that seems to be the drift so far, which makes me happy because long COVID is really all I worry about. I mean, there's almost no chance I die, right? Yeah. Say, yeah, um, right. That uh, th there's also an interesting thing about this uh, this uh, Pfizer miracle cure, which and who gets it? The therapy. And, yeah, and and What's Iglesias was complaining, and I think he's right. It just struck an intuitive chord. Is right now it goes to the people who covets the most. Mm -hmm. So if you say, "I know you have this," I demand it. You know who I am. I have connections here. You'll mm -hmm. get it. It's like a like an East European country. Uh, it's ridiculous. That, that's my my main anxiety is I'll be sick, and the medicine that would save me is I have to be a pushy guy to get, and I'm not a pushy guy. But you're well so connected. You know Anthony so Fauci. You actually know Anthony Fauci, don't you? You know Anthony Fauci. I knew Anthony I think, Fauci. I think before. I'd have to remind him that I was the guy who who committed the faux pas in collaboration with you at a party where we met him. You're the guy who I, I, he, you know, we used to be like that. And, and after that, it was. Yeah, no, I ruined your relationship. Um, so anything else? Uh, no, that's it. Um, I ask only one thing from you, Mickey. Which is that I sing a song at the end of the show. Uh, exactly. No, not exactly. But you can do that. Exactly is. Watch Severance. Watch a few episodes of Severance. Okay. Once you just start while you're, you know, not yet tired, and you'll just, you know, you'll keep going. Um, I was I had dinner with a geologist friend, and I decided that the best episode of the best ending for Yellowstone is pretty clear. Is that is a the, what the, is Yellowstone? Yellowstone is the most popular show on TV, Bob. Oh, should I watch it? I like it. It's basically Succession for people in the heartland. What about Slow Horse? Have you heard about that? Don't know about Slow Horse. No. Uh, I did. I did. I did. Uh, when I was driving through uh, parts of Kansas and Oklahoma, I did listen to 
horse radio shows. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, my uh, my powers of uh, staying awake were tested by some of these horse radio shows. It's like, well, we went down to the show in so-and-so, and then after that, we went up to the show in so-and-so. Like, okay. <laughs> no mention of Elon Musk on any of these? No. Hmm. Um, but uh, Well, you know, when you say Kansas and Oklahoma, you know what that should remind you of? Horses? No. Mickey, who do we know who was conceived in Kansas and born in Oklahoma? My food poisoning? I don't know. Conceived in Kansas, born in Oklahoma. You. You're looking at him. The most American guy on the fucking continent. Kansas, Oklahoma. Those are great states. Thank you. And they're middle American states. Um, And that's where I come from, folks. And that's why nobody ever accused me of lacking empathy for middle Americans. Was that that rhythm blues song? I think it was. That's kind of fragmentary, Mickey. Maybe you should uh, do it in your own voice just to make sure we got it. <clears throat> get rhythm. If you get the blues, get rhythm. If you get the blues, little rock and roll in your soul. Blah, 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 blah. I think you should run for office just so that your opponent can f- dig up that video and leak it. That um, was good. No, that was good. I liked it. Cannot compete with Le- Elon Musk's Twitter. No, no. None of us can. Who among us? Okay. We will see you. Okay. See you next in week. In next week's parent.